This is the Seahawks Draft Show, Episode 2, Mock Draft Monday, joined by Mr. Rob Staten. Rob, how you doing? I'm good, Brandon. We're getting uh, edging a little bit closer to the draft, and uh, it's, starting to, it's starting to feel real that we're only uh, a few weeks away now. Only three Mondays to go between now and the next draft. And I thought it might be a fun idea to kind of, since you, you've been working on your mock drafts, it, it'll give us an opportunity every Monday to kind of take a look at what the Seahawks could do, some of their options, whether they stay put, whether they trade down, they're most likely going to trade down. But uh, some of those options and players that the Seahawks could be considering through those first couple rounds, shoot, maybe we'll even get into a, a seven round mock draft. And uh, I want to talk about that with you today. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that um, is going to be interesting with the Seahawks this year is that they have several needs. And I think what they're going to do is sort of look at the board from the ranges where they pick because they probably are going to trade down, as you mentioned. And they're going to try and find a way to address as many of those needs as possible. So we could all agree as as Seahawks fans that their greatest need, for example, is to get a, a pass rusher. But the Seahawks will look at the board and say, can we get a pass rusher in round three? Yes. Can we get, you know, a nickel corner or a receiver or tight end or whatever in this range? And if the answer is no, they'll, they'll find the ranges to get their guys. So that's something to bear in mind when we do these mock drafts. You know, the, the Seahawks are going to try and fill three or four needs in this draft class, not just that first pick needs to go on the biggest priority and that's it. Well, you do have the Seahawks trading out of their first spot. I, I don't know if you can do an actual a, a solid mock draft, a good mock draft for the Seahawks without trading out of that number 21 pick. And you have that pick going to Kansas City in your latest post, Rob. I think the Seahawks have got an advantage in where they pick and in, in relation to the other teams that might want to trade down in the 20s. For example, they're, they're picking 21, so it's quite a high 20s pick they pick ahead of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens have very clear needs, which is interior offensive line and receiver. And there happen to be some teams in in the end of the first round that have also got those needs, whether it's Green Bay receiver, whether it's Kansas City receiver and offensive line. They lost their center in in free agency. Uh, The Chargers have got an offensive line need. The Colts could do with another receiver. You know, there are teams in there that Houston Texans may look O-line. There are teams that may want to move up ahead of Baltimore to get the player that Baltimore might be targeting. The other thing to bear in mind here is if Baltimore were picking ahead of the Seahawks, they also don't have a second round pick. They're going to be quite determined to trade down themselves, I think. So the fact that the Seahawks are ahead of them, it means that teams that are looking to move into the early 20s will speak to the Seahawks first rather than the Ravens. So it's very crucial that they're ahead of Baltimore. I'm curious how that could work out too, because if there are a couple teams who have the ability and are interested in trading back, does that kind of devalue those couple spots with Baltimore being at 22, with Seattle being at 21? Or is it that advantage of being on the clock? I think, yeah, it's it's that advantage. And it's also making sure, like I said, that, that there are going to be teams that are competing with the Ravens. Um, in this particular mock draft that we're going to talk about, I have them moving ahead of the Ravens, this is Kansas City, to get a, a receiver, uh, DK Metcalf. And if the likes of Metcalf and Paris Campbell and Marquise Brown and AJ Brown, for example, just to name four of the guys, are still there at 21, I think there'll be quite high demand to get ahead of Baltimore to get one of those receivers. 
Well, and even you look at some of those other big names that fall past the 21 spot. You know, you mentioned wide receiver, but you also talked about offensive line and Cody Ford, the potential to fall to Houston number at number 23. You know, that's been a popular spot for Houston looking at help at the tackle position. Uh, Caleb McGarry also on the board going to the Chargers at number 28. So that demand for receiver and for offensive line that that would be something that the that teams would be willing to move up for uh the only quarterback it looks like the top quarterbacks left on the board at that point would be will greer you have him falling all the way to new england yeah and i think there's another name to keep an eye on here in terms of teams trading up or maybe even a couple of names and they're the two centers eric mccoy Garrett Bradbury. I had a chance to watch a bit more of Eric McCoy this week. I really like what I see. He's the only center. I mean, if you come, I, I like Elton Jenkins, for example, who's at Mississippi State. When Jenkins played uh, Alabama, he was uh, torn apart by Quinn and Williams. Eric McCoy held his own, did an admirable job there, which I think teams will notice. So, yes, teams may well look to get, a, you know, a DK Metcalf, a Paris Campbell, a Marquise Brown type player ahead of Baltimore. But teams may also want to trade above Baltimore just in case. They're looking at the centers in this draft. Baltimore has a need on the offensive line and will, I think, look at the center position. So there may be a team or two that want to get ahead of them for that reason as well. And the Rams could be one of those teams, um, even though they're a division rival, because, uh, of course, they lost their veteran center and free agency moved on from him. And there are one or two others as well that may look to, to fill that need. So you have DK Metcalf as the first receiver off the board. Quite a few of them coming off right afterward. Paris Campbell going to Baltimore, Terry McLaurin. Uh, you have him in the first round to the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma, A.J. Brown uh, of Ole Miss to Green Bay. And then the Seahawks drop all the way out of the first round to the second round with Nikhil Harry, who recently announced that he was going to be a top 30 visit for the Seahawks and him being the first pick of the second round. Seattle ending up with that pick from Arizona. I think we'll see a run on defensive linemen in the fir- in the start of the draft in the early first round. Then we'll see a run on receivers in this in this period in the twenties and thirties, and then I think we'll see a run on tight ends as well in round two. And I think that we're going to see the receivers come quickly off the board in terms of the Seahawks with a pick and within Keel Harry. The, the thought process with this, Mark, people who follow the blog will know that I do a lot of projections, and we've we've talked about nickel corners going with the first pick quarterbacks defensive ends defensive tackles tight ends we've looked at pretty much every solution one of the things i hadn't really done you know is mock a receiver to the seahawks and with a lot of reports recently ian rapaport published another report uh, last week early last week saying that um doug Baldwin could still retire that he's had his sports hernia um surgery now and that he is seriously contemplating his future and, and this is kind of building a bit of momentum now and you just wonder what the outcome of this is going to be and even if Doug Baldwin comes back in 2019 is he a long-term fixture it doesn't seem that that's going to be the case so the Seahawks may feel that uh, if they don't take a receiver early they will be in danger of missing out on some of the top players in this class and it may not be a need that they can fill later on so and Keel Harry a good athlete the kind of player that they've you know they, they like upside with their first pick great character very gritty individual and I could see them being somewhat interested in him. They've got him for that official 30 visit. And if they do go receiver, he could be one of the names that they're looking at. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Rob, is of those first receivers coming off the board, both Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin of Ohio State, among the top three or four guys off the board early. There were some reports that McLaurin, you know, to have his phone by him in the first round, do you think he's moved himself all the way up to the first round to, as a worthy selection in that first round? 
Yeah, I think it's distinctly possible. The thing about Terry McLaurin is he's a complete package. Um, he is a dynamic downfield receiver. He knows how to get open and the shorter routes. He is high character, special teams value, loves to block in the running game and get involved in that. He speaks in great detail about offensive schemes and, and his role at Ohio State. I have him going to the Colts. He's a former Indianapolis uh, Colts season ticket holder. Him, him and his dad used to go and watch the Colts play. He's, he's all football and he, he's a fantastic athlete and there's, there's major upside there as well. He ticks pretty much every box. I think he was a player that was severely underrated at Ohio State. You often see this with the Ohio State receivers. The scheme, the Urban Meyer offense doesn't lend itself to big production and receivers making huge numbers of amazing plays. Um, you only have to look at the way that you know Michael Thomas kind of flew under the radar at Ohio State and has, has gone on to be a fantastic receiver for the Saints. And you look at the the options that they had, you know, with McLaurin, with Campbell, with with a few others as well. You know, there's there's even more talent on Ohio State's roster that will be in this in the next draft um, at receiver. Um, they're loaded with fantastic skill players, and and the problem is is that very few of them had an opportunity to shine because the offense consists of an awful lot of screens, extended hands off to the receiver, and and a lot of short stuff which doesn't really offer that much complexity. So yet you are sort of building on upside and potential, but I think McLaurin's got it, and I think Paris Campbell has as well, and I think they'll be better NFL receivers than they were necessarily college receivers. So what's the benefit for Seattle then going from 21 to the number 33 pick? What are some of the extra picks they'd pick up by falling that many spots? Well, I tried to find realistic scenarios. And I think there are teams, whether it's Green Bay, who they dealt with last year, that might be willing to move up. You know, the Colts may, if they had a particular receiver in mind, may well move up a few spots as well. You've got Buffalo. If they don't take a wide receiver with their first pick, you know, they're, they're trying to build around Josh Allen. You would think that they might want to move up all the way from 40 as well to, to try and get one of the top receivers and be a bit aggressive there to try and build around their young quarterback. So I, I, I settled on Kansas City. They've got a huge issue coming up with Tyreek Hill. They were intending to pay him a huge contract and time down for the long term. Now, there's a, I don't know if they can do that. I think it'd be a PR disaster if they did that now. They've already kind of set the stall out with the way that they handled the Kareem Hunt situation by releasing him. Um, it doesn't seem that they're going to release Tyree Kill, but are they going to be able to go out there and sign him to a huge deal? I think that's pretty unlikely. Patrick Mahomes, uh, as we all know, an amazing quarterback, great uh, downfield thrower. They, I've got them moving up to DK Metcalf because he's he essentially he's at his best when he's running go routes and, and running downfield. He's a very good compliment for someone like Mahomes. So I, I think that they may decide, look, we'll move up and get a top receiver then we can play it by ear with Tyreek Kill and, and see what the situation is down the road. Metcalf's a compliment to, to Hill if they end up keeping him in whatever way they keep him. I could see that panning out. And the Chiefs have two second-round picks. So even if they trade their third rounder, which is what I've got them doing here, they still pick twice in the second round. So they'll be able to get two defensive prospects in round two. They get some good value there. Be able to bolster a defense that needs some help get a receiver, and they can feel very comfortable about their draft after that with the first three picks. I've got the Seahawks State getting a third and one of Kansas City's two six-round picks with this trade down to move them down to 29. And then I've got them actually trading with the Cardinals, which may raise a few eyebrows. I've got the Cardinals moving up from 33 up to 29 in a second trade uh, to take Marquise Brown, to, to pair Brown with his college quarterback, Kyler Murray, and, and reunite in Arizona. And people may think, well, the Cardinals are not going to trade with the Seahawks, but it's worth remembering a few years ago, that's exactly what happened between uh, the Seahawks and the, and the Niners. The Niners moved up four spots to get Reuben Foster. That's right. 
and and the Seahawks got a fourth round pick, a high fourth round pick for that trade. So there's precedent there with the teams in the NFC West trading with each other. And for me, if you're Arizona and you are just a few picks away from getting Marquise Brown reuniting him with Kyler Murray, you make that move. I've got them moving ahead of Green Bay. If they're interested in Marquise Brown, move ahead of them. Go and get Marquise Brown. Give up a fourth round pick. Feel very happy about your offense moving forward. Now, if you're if you're the Seahawks, John Schneider was on 710 ESPN. He said you know, there could be plenty of guys that they that we like with that number 21 pick that we might just want to stay there. Talk about the difference between DK Metcalf and then going back to Nikhil Harry. Is that is that difference in talent? Is it worth those extra picks? Or if if a player like Metcalf were to fall to number 21, would the Seahawks say, well, you know, here's a, a big body wide receiver has lots of speed. Maybe we just stand pat and, and pick here at 21. I think the only players that the Seahawks would consider at 21 are Nick Bosa, um, <laughs> Rashawn Gary, Quinn and Williams. Ed Oliver? Maybe maybe Josh Allen, maybe Ed <laughs> Oliver, you know, people like that. They're going to go in the top 10. Sure. Um, I think that when you get out of the legit first round players, what, what you'll end up finding is that Someone like DK Metcalf may well have a higher grade than Nikhil Harry, but the difference will be minimal. And the ability to move down, you know, 10 or, 10 or so spots and actually have a proper draft uh, rather than just have four picks is is the key here. And um, I know that a lot of Seahawks fans get frustrated with the, the constant trading down and, and they, they say, well, admit, you know, I read something the other day that said the Seahawks missed out on Fletcher Cox in 2012 by trading down from 12 to 15. And my response to that would be, they didn't miss out on Fletcher Cox because they'd have took Bruce Irvin at 12 if they stayed. <laughs> right. So, you know, they, they took the same player. They would have taken the same player. The fact is they took the same player having moved down three spots. So I think rest assured, if the Seahawks move down as much as I've got them moving down from 21 all the way down to 33, that they were never really targeting someone like DK Metcalf in, in, in the first place. And I, I just don't see, I, I think if they had, even if they had six picks, then maybe they would consider staying at 21 if, if a certain player fell. But the fact they've only got four picks, the Seahawks can't pick four times in this draft. They've set their table. They've got to eat at it now. And and, and that's it. And, and next year, they've got 11 picks. We'll be having a very different conversation. Well, I know if I'm John Schneider and I'm watching this draft board, these guys come off the board in the second round. It's given me a lot of heartburn not having a second round pick because, you know, you're seeing guys like Lonnie Johnson, who, the, you know, the Seahawks had the staring contest go in in round two. You see Darnell Savage, a safety from Maryland, who they brought in for a, a top 30 visit, you know, going at 47 to Carolina. Chase Winovich uh, to Miami, you know, one of those edge guys who kind of fits what the Seahawks might be looking for. Tristan Hill of UC going to Tennessee at 51. So a lot of names here where you go, oh, those are there's so many guys in the second round that are good that I, I would like to be Seahawks. But here they are coming off the board. And uh, in this scenario, the Seahawks only having that that first pick in the second round and then not picking again until the middle of the third round. Yeah, it's a huge shame. And and it was the same last year as well. There was a lot of players in round two that were just so appealing and they didn't have that second round pick and, and they could have got a, a genuine starter for the future in round two last year. And it was the same again this year. But the good news is that it carries on into round three. So if they can trade down and get an extra third round pick, pick twice in the third round, uh, maybe once in the second round after trading down, then they'll they'll set themselves up very nicely. But as you mentioned, there in the mock that I've done, there's, there's a lot of guys that would be very appealing to the Seahawks of various positions, whether it's defensive back, whether it's tight end, whether it's defensive line, offensive line. You know, there's, there's a lot of options there. But thankfully, this is the type of draft class where those options just carry on. Round three looks almost just as appealing. So, uh, yeah, get a couple of day two picks 
because that is is going to be the key to Seattle having a successful draft for me is to turn 21 into at least another day two pick. Well, with their third pick, that original number 85 overall, you have Seattle taking a defensive end from Texas, Charles Amenahu, and taking him ahead of Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan, who goes a few spots later. Uh, ben Bonogu also on the board there for on the defensive line. Uh, but that, that one actually comes off after the Seahawks next pick. So let's talk about Amenahu. Yeah, well, what I've tried to do with all of the picks, and you know, I've included a seven a seven rounder at the end of this, is what I've tried to do with all of the Seahawks picks is do is just sort of learn from what they've done in the past and try and use that uh, as kind of a guide here. Within Keel Harry, he's he's a big receiver. They've wanted one for a while. Very athletic. You know, they like to take a chance on upside with their first pick. That was the thought process there. With the second one, Charles Amenahu is two hundred eighty pounds. You know, they seem to want this base end. You know, that I think that with Dion Jordan moving on, I'm assuming he's going to move on because they haven't re-signed him. Dion Jordan was playing at about 280 pounds uh, the last couple of years. He, he bulked up, he was bigger. And I think that with him moving on, they're going to want somebody with that kind of size to play that role. Now, it could be Rasheem Green, certainly could be, but he did not have a good rookie season. I just wonder whether they may well look at this and think, let's get another one of those and let's just have them competing with each other. There's always a, you know, Green and in this case, Amenahu are flexible enough that you could you could play them as two ends. You could play one inside. You know, you can rotate them. You know, there's, it, it doesn't really have to be that it's either, it's either or. You know, they get another guy like that. So Amenahu's 280 pounds, 36-inch arms. You know, we know that they love that kind of length. And one of the things is over the years, they've they've really looked at the short shuttle for defensive linemen. There's a consistency there, you know, from Jordan Hill they took in the third round to Rasheem Green in the third round last year to Frank Clark to to everybody. That they've always kind of seemed to focus on the short shuttle for defensive linemen. And men who ran particularly well, he ran a four three six at his size, which is fantastic time for that kind of play, and it's the type of physical profile that they've drafted for in the past. And if it's not a who, you know, there are other options in this in this range here that they may well look at. A who is at one of them. You've also got Anthony Nelson at, at Iowa, who could be an alternative there. You've got Zach Allen at Boston College. You've got Kingsley Kiki at, at Texas Tech. You know, Daniel Wise um, at Kansas. There are a number of players that could play that role. So uh, the Seahawks have got options there, and that's why I kind of had them waiting on defensive lines or this range, because there are going to be options in rounds two, three, and four for this kind of defensive end role there maybe aren't going to be as good options at receiver, for example, or nickel when you get to this stage. And moving on to number 93 overall, that pick that they get from KC as part of moving out of the first round or moving later in the first round before trading with Arizona. Uh, you have the Seahawks taking Marvell Tell safety out of USC. Now, uh, when I see safety, I have to wonder, is he going to be, a, is he a free safety type prospect? Is he one of the big nickel type prospects at safety? Tell us a little bit about Tell. I think he's a classic hybrid. You know, he could play a number of positions. Marvell Tell's got the size at 6'2 and, and um, about 198 pounds with 33-inch arms that he could be tried as an outside cornerback if they wanted to try him there. He's got the amazing agility. I mean, his three-cone was out of this world. It was, it was, I think it was by far the best amongst defensive backs. His short shuttle was a 402, which is, you know, incredible again, for, especially for a guy with his size. He's got that short range agility and length that you would think play him in the nickel 
it would be ideal for him. He's he's got the range. I think that you could drop him back into safety and and consider him there. He, he can pretty. He's a good tackler. I think that he's got a good character. I think he's a, he's a, he's the kind of weapon that you kind of expect teams to have in 2019. That he can play in multiple different positions there. And I think that's what the Seahawks are going to look to add here. I know that people have been talking about the fact that they've been visiting with a number of safeties, whether that's Juan Thornhill, whether it's Chauncey Gordon-Johnson, uh, whether it's Darnell Savage and, and players like that. And I think people assume that that's to replace Earl Thomas. But the thing is, they're never going to be able to replace Earl Thomas. There'll only ever be one Earl Thomas and they're never going to find another one. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So I think what they're actually doing with this is this is more about replacing Justin Coleman. This is about somebody who can line up at a big nickel, can play at safety if you need them to. You know, they're going to compete there with Thompson, with Hill, with McDonald's. Googled. It may be that they end up playing there. Maybe they move Hill back to the big nickel where he played, I think, something like 40% of the snaps, the defensive snaps last year, playing in that role. Um, so it gives them that flexibility to play. I think they want somebody who can play in a lot of different positions, is basically what I'm saying. And that's what Thornhill can do. He's, he's got corner experience. That's what Gardner Johnson did. He played nickel for Florida last year. Savage has got that ability to play multiple different positions. And I think that's what Marvell Teller's got. I think they're looking for a really versatile defensive back with one of their high picks this year. And like you mentioned, you did go all seven rounds just for the Seahawks at the end of the draft. You have Armand Watts, a defensive tackle from Arkansas, Caden Smith, tight end from Stanford, Greg Gaines, the defensive tackle from Washington. So you got a Husky in there, Rob, and uh, Derek Thomas, a corner from Baylor. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly, Armand Watts is, I, I think he's a really underrated player. I think if you can get him in the middle rounds, it's going to be a steal. Terrific length. Uh, he can anchor against the run and, and absorb blocks. Very good at that. He's also got some pass rushing ability, which I think is is, is going to get better as he gets to the next level. I'm a big fan of Armand Watson. I think if you get him in round four, which I've got him going here, then he could be a starter and and, and certainly be rotating in with Puna Ford and Jaron Reed. Uh, and have an impact next year. I've got them taking Caden Smith. It was brought to my attention that the Seahawks have really targeted Titans who run a, a sub 7.10 in the three cone, a 7.10 in the three cone. And there aren't many of those in this draft class. A lot of the Titans ran slower than that at the combine. Caden Smith, for all the knocking about his his 40 and his some of his other testing, he actually ran a 7.08. He was, I think, one of three tight ends who actually ran underneath the 7.10. And I think the only other two were Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, who are both going to go in round one. So I just wonder if the Seahawks will keep an eye, eye on uh, Caden Smith, maybe look at him in the, in the later rounds, because he seems to be falling a little bit. Uh, Greg Gaines, Tony Pauline reported this week that the Seahawks are reportedly interested in him. Um, and having a look at him. And I wouldn't be surprised about that. You know, they need to improve the run defense. He can do that. He's, he's a good, solid defensive lineman who um, has got some technique issues, but created problems uh, when he was at Washington, especially when he played alongside Vita Vea. And uh, Derek Thomas just looks like a Seahawks cornerback. You know, he, he's got the frame. He's got the... Uh, athleticism that they look for at that role. Um, he's a converted receiver. They've had a lot of success with uh, a cornerback who had converted from receiver before. And I think he's somebody that I think they will draft another cornerback later on. And I think that there's a decent chance it'll be Derek Thomas, who is also one of the players who is taking an official 30 visit to the Seahawks. Well, there you go. You got seven names from Rob Staten uh, for this upcoming draft, just a little over two weeks away. And Rob, well done on the mock draft. We'll be back next Monday talking more and uh, we'll be talking more Seahawks draft show here later in the week. 